Thanks for being here. I'm finally your height. <laughs> That's built around the idea that if we get people to Jesus, that uh, the transformation will come from that. So praise God for that. Praise God for that. Yeah, I want to talk about the work in, in the kingdom in Africa right now, what God's doing there. I loved Bishop Tara last night. The most excited that he got was the four or five times he said, and the kingdom is breaking forth. And I look forward to sharing that. I, I just want to first dive into Matthew 13, just really quickly, the parable of the mustard seed. Because the parable of the mustard seed is a kingdom growth parable. We get the idea of uh, growth in that, two lenses in that. We get the qualitative growth and we get the quantitative growth. And I have to raise my hand and say as a pastor for the last 20 years, I have been very, very concerned about quantitative growth. We want to see our churches grow. Uh, we, we want to see those birds of the air come and perch in those branches. We want to see that happen. But Matthew 13 is also about qualitative growth because it says in that passage is, as it grows, it becomes. And so Matthew 13, if we were to just pull a couple principles out of there, is that the how of a disciple determines the what of a disciple. Said another way, our process of making disciples will result in the product of discipleship. I'm a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. At Dallas Theological Seminary, we love to preach the word. The philosophy of ministry coming out of Dallas Theological Seminary, bottom line, is if you can get preaching right, the church will go forth and we will change the world. And for 20 years, that's what I was committed to. Preached twice. I was in kind of a Woods Edge type church in Memphis. First service, coat and tie. Second service, blue jeans and an untucked shirt. And for nine years was there. We saw good things happen. But after nine years, I looked behind me and I saw a lot of excited people, but I just did not see a lot of disciples. Uh, I was in a paradox at that point. Uh, how is it that now at 48 years of age, and I look behind me, committed very strongly to the teaching of the Word, and I look behind me, and I, I don't see disciples that look like Christ whose values have been transformed by that. So I had an Ethiopian that came to my house in Memphis, and he said, hey, it was Acts 16, would you come work with me in Ethiopia? And if you know anything about the Ethiopian church, it's an amazing, amazing last 25-year-old movement. 1974 to 91, communism in, in Ethiopia. About a million believers uh, at that time in 74, 17 years later, it's the China effect. We have 4 million believers that, that grew during their faith during persecution. Uh, since that time, the last 25 years have been absolutely epic for the church in, in Ethiopia. Uh, the only thing I can say is that God is at work uh, like crazy there. When an Ethiopian says that we will pray for you, what that means is we will pray all night and our church will pray all night for you. And praying all night and fasting all week are common practices in the Ethiopian church. And subsequently, we're seeing God do great things. Philip Yancey said, uh, I've traveled around the world, and it seems to me that the places where I go where, God, where the church is on fire are the places where people want God the most. And I praise God for that. And so I had a chance from 2012, 2014 to leave my church in Memphis. We cut the ties of that. My wife and our three daughters, we went and we moved to Ethiopia and we partnered with a church called the Ethiopian Kali Hewitt Church. Kali Hewitt stands for Word of Life. 
small denomination of 8 million people in 8,000 churches. I'm a non-denominational Bible church guy. Nobody above us, nobody around us, and we like it that way. And I got over there to Ethiopia, and I was blown away by what God was doing in an 8 million person, 8,000 church. My partner was the National Discipleship Director for the Kala Hewitt Church, three weeks in country, everything's measured how far it is from the capital. We're 500 kilometers from Addis Ababa, out underneath a mango tree at 7.15 on a Saturday morning. Let me say that again, 7.15 on a Saturday morning with a group of 18 teenagers. And the question on the table was, how has discipleship changed your life? And I'm sitting there, and I'm listening, and this 17-year-old girl stands up, and she says, before I started getting discipled, before I started reading the scriptures, I was lying to my mom on a regular basis, and I was really good at it. But I started reading the scriptures, and I had somebody speaking into my life, and I began to realize that if I'm going to journey with Jesus, I can't keep lying to my mother. I have somebody pouring their life into me, and my life is changing. Oh, and by the way, my mom's illiterate, and I'm reading the scriptures to my mom in the morning, and her life is changing, and my life is changing. I've got goosebumps at this point that you could get air off of. It's a Saturday morning. We get back to Addis Ababa on a Monday. I look at my partner, and I said, Asias, you are sitting on top of a tsunami. He said, what are you talking about? I said, Asias, you've got a national disciple-making movement that is making disciples under the mango tree in southern Ethiopia. This is unbelievable. Have you ever thought about inviting other African denominations to come to Ethiopia, one of the poorest countries on the planet Ethiopia is, but it has something that is life-giving? Four months later, we had a thing called the African Strategic Discipleship Summit. We had 90 leaders from 24 African countries and 50 denominations that came to Ethiopia. And it was a taste-and-see experience. We didn't come with a big agenda. We didn't have an end game of what we wanted the people to do at the end of that. What we wanted these African believers to see is that in Ethiopia, out of 181 countries, Ethiopia is about 176 on the Global Health Index. It's one of the poorest countries. But Ethiopia had something that was viral in its Christianity. Those 90 leaders came, and I've never seen it before. 90 leaders had three commitments. Disciple-making is our biggest challenge. What we're doing is not working. Would you please help us? Said another way, we figured out how to do church. We know how to do Sundays. In Muslim context, we know how to do Fridays. The only challenge is we don't know how to make disciples. And so for two years, my partner and I, we took 97 flights in Africa and Asia. And everywhere we went, we were like Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 2, where Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem, he gets on the horse, and he looks at the walls. We've had a chance to look at the global church walls. And the number one issue, wherever you go, it's the issue of how do you make people that walk, talk, think, act like Jesus Christ? That is the issue. It's the issue here on these tables, and it's the issue in Africa. What do, what do we do? How do we do it differently? Uh, if you have not read this book, you need to. It's called The Next Christendom, The Coming of Global Christianity. Uh, get it, buy it, read it, read it once, underline it, mark it, and then read it again. It's a profound book. And what he's basically saying is, you know this, but let me say it again. What he's saying in global Christian, uh, The Next Christendom is that the global center of the, of the church has shifted. Meaning by that, that the epicenter of viral Christianity is no longer in the West. Let me say that again. The epicenter and the viral places where Christianity is breaking forth is no longer in the West. Let me say that one time, one more time. The epicenter of Christianity is no longer in the woodlands. The epicenter of Christianity has moved to places where Lagos, Nigeria is one of the most spiritually off-the-chart cities you can ever go to because every available wall space 
every available bus, there will be somebody that stands up on that bus and is prophesying and doing other things in the name of Jesus Christ in Lagos, Nigeria. Most unbelievable place you've ever been to. Africa is on fire. So the issue of discipleship is not just, we live in the woodlands, you're working in Africa, you work there, we'll work there. No, if we want to be on the wave of what God is doing, we got to get on the wave where God is moving in a way where it matters. Africa, a billion people in Africa, 500,000 are Christian, 500,000 are Muslim. You get below sub-Sahara Africa, and that number gets to be about 70%. So if we're committed to the Great Commission, and if we really do believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, Matthew 24, 14, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. If we believe that, then therefore, how are we going to fulfill that? If we believe that, who is going to be the carrier of the virus of the kingdom? It's not going to be... U.S. bound, it is going to be Africans that are moving out with the gospel that is permeating inside of them. And so discipleship is not just, okay, we disciple here, you disciple there. The reality is that if we can disciple the church through denominations, which is the wineskin in Africa, they don't have non-denominational Bible churches in Africa. If you're an African and you want to be under the movement of God, you're in a denomination. Uh, the Church of Uganda, and I have a, I have a, a little uh, article in the, in the packet that's on everybody's table. Uh, the Church of Uganda in, in, uh, in, in Kampala, in that place, 13.5 million people. Let me just say that again, 13.5 million people, 14,000 churches. Their 2020 vision, you ready for this, is to see 60% of that uh, 13.5 million people saved. That's their goal, not to, not, to, not to convert others, but to convert those that are in the church. So said another way, the, 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 the scope and scale is absolutely fantastic. Uh, right now in Africa, the big issue is oil in the ground. The big issue is if our country, Chad, Equatorial Guinea, Nigeria, Angola, Mozambique, if we can get our hands on that oil, our country will become prosperous. And you cannot believe the power of that image in many people's minds. But the reality for us as, as spiritual kingdom guys, apostles in this room, is that we realize that the greatest resource is not what? Below the ground. The greatest resource is what? Above the ground. It's people. And the reality is, is that when you take oil out of the ground, it's not ready to go in your car, is it? You got to oil out of the ground. You got to process it. And after you process it, you got you you to product it. And you got to put it in a container. And then eventually you can get it in the oil or get it in your car. The same reality comes to disciple-making. When a person comes to know Jesus, they're not at a place to be able to reproduce. They're not at a place to be able to multiply. They've got to be worked with, and they've got to be poured into, and they've got to be invested in, and they've got to be valued in, and then they're able to reproduce. I want you to see our video just real quickly for three minutes. It's going to ask some questions, and then I want to tell you what we're doing precisely. Southern and as we think about Jesus' heart, what we're thinking about is this idea of Jesus's desire to see exact replicas of Jesus Christ. We call that disciple, and that's what he had in mind. People that would act like, people that would talk like, people that would think like, people that would live like Jesus himself. That was his vision. That was his mission. Go to all the nations and make disciples of Christ Jesus. And so the African Strategic Discipleship Movement is a continuation of the story that was birthed over 2,000 years ago. 
through disciple making, we want to see people grow deep in their relationship with Christ, but also at the same time to go broadly as we multiply through key leaders, through key pastors who are discipling others, who are reaching into their communities with the gospel. <laughs> We have this whole problem of prosperity theology. The people are flooding into those false teachers' gatherings because we are lacking the strong teaching in the church. Their heart has to get around it and their heart has to be exposed and then they have to live that out and that's the disciple-making process. And so that's what we're trying to do with African church leaders. They can go into their own local church and form a very intentional disciple-making group. It's a kind of journey together. Our goal is that over the course of two years, 16 leaders in the initial cohort. After that initial cohort, we will have two groups of 16, so 32. After the second sequence of that, the third phase, four groups of 16, 64 denominations, and the dream and the vision is that within six years, we will have 112 denominations from every country in Africa that are launching their own intentional, relational, disciple-making movement within their denomination. And these people who seem to be thirsty for the gospel of Jesus Christ, if they are properly discipled, will bring life to them, will affect their lives, will affect the lives of their families, will affect the lives of their communities, and by so doing, by extension, the country and the continent of Africa. Africa is ripe for the gospel. Evangelism is very successful. The question is, what do we do with them? And the African Strategic Discipleship Movement is designed to return us back to the principles of Jesus, to see disciples made in a way that takes time, in a way that is relational. And if we are faithful to the principle of investment and intentionality, we will see a return in a disciple's life that will live up to the picture that Jesus had in mind. So here was the aha moment. Uh, I'm a conference junkie. I don't know about you. I've probably been to 100 conferences and daydreaming about 100 more. I love conferences. I love ideas. I've given my life to ideas. But the reality of training is you go to a conference, you get the notebook, you get the t-shirt, you buy the books, and you get home, and the reality of ministry takes over, and within a week or two, every idea that you had a chance to play around with is already gone. Disciple -making, the difference between disciple-making and leadership training, and they're phenomenal trainings. I mean, all over the world, training is phenomenal. In Africa, you have people line up for days to come to a training. The reality of training is pretty much the information dies when the training is over. Disciple-making is where you grab the hand of an individual and a pastor and you walk with them until what? Until the reality of the truth has been mastered in them and they're living that truth. So here's what happened in Ethiopia. Two-year discipleship journey with pastors. Every three months they meet for seven days at a time. There's biblical content, the gospel, spiritual transformation, how to make disciples, marriage and family, evangelism outreach, how do you lead a disciple-making movement, there is one-on-one -on -one heart stuff where pastors are dropping their heart. If there's ever a country in our culture that does not like to reveal their heart, it's, it's, it's Ethiopia. 17 years communism, the goal there was to never let anybody know what was going on inside because they could hold that against you. How do you pastor without brokenness? 
How do you pastor in grace when you can't share the need that you have in your own life for the very grace that you're talking about? So there's that pastoral element, and then there's the outreach element. After one week, they go back to their context. They start ministering their churches. They come back three months later. They go back into their context. They come back three months later. They go back into their context. We do that eight times. The first two-year deal in Ethiopia was 200. The second two-year deal was 800. The year that I went over to Ethiopia, 2,500 pastors were involved in this kind of disciple-making training. So after we had the conference and we had 90 leaders, what does this mean for the continent of Africa? Came back here to the Woodlands area. Our two years was over. My, wife, or my daughter had to go to college. Uh, came back and tried to figure out what does this mean for us. And what we've done is we've taken that same Ethiopian model of discipleship, which is built on the biblical principle of time, which is built upon the biblical principle of relational investment, which is built upon the principle of life on life, which is built upon the principle of multiplication. We've taken that same two-year model and take them, taken that and put it on Africa. So right now, we have 16 leaders that are in the African strategic disciple-making cohort, if you will. These 16 leaders, I come from a football athletic background. They're, they're the quarterbacks of their denomination. We've gone to their denominational leaders, and we've asked them this point blank, give us your best leader and give us that best leader for eight years. For two years, we're going to pour the best that we have into them. At the end of those two years, everything that we've done in them, they're going to pour back into their denomination. So we've got, uh, on the left, we've got uh, every African denomination is charismatic, if you will. But we've got denominations on the one hand that are Church of Pentecost in Ghana, the Apostolic Faith Mission of South Africa, the largest denomination there with about 3 million people, all the way to the Church of Uganda in, 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 in Uganda, that's 13.5 million, all across the theological board. And we wanted to go after denominations that could lead movements within their denomination. We've got a small denomination in Cairo, Egypt, the Grace Churches of, of Egypt, which is 5,000 people, 35 churches, all the way up to the Church of Uganda. We have them in a cohort. And, and I just want to tell you the numbers, not because the numbers matter, but the numbers do matter. Because if you, can, if you can accelerate the DNA of discipleship, you can launch a movement. Uh, those 16 denominations represent 25 million Africans. Let me say that again. 16 guys that we're working with are in denominations that represent 25 million Africans that represent 44,000 churches in those denominations. And so after two years, the idea is to take a group of 16. We've got four trainers, a one-on-four relationship at the end of two years. We then broaden to two groups of 16. The third two-year cycle, we broaden to four groups of 16. That's 112 denominations that will be covered on the African context by raising up Africans that can go into their denomination and pastor within those denominations to make that happen. On your table right there, if, if you have a packet, I just want to highlight what does that mean for the synod of the Gulf Coast? What does that mean for you guys? Uh, the beautiful thing about Anglicans is you've had a beautiful relationship with Rwanda. So you already understand that discipleship is not a one-way. It's not us here in the West to go over and help out poor Africans. Please, if you're coming to the table with that, you Anglicans realize that there is a wealth of spiritual vitality on the African continent. The Rwandan relationship showed that very much. The Rwandan church has much to contribute, and it's a back and forth there. Um, went out for, for Starbucks. Careful when you go out to Starbucks with Bishop Clark. 
Uh, went to Starbucks, wanted to get to know him. We have a mutual friend in Jeff Wells. We went and had coffee. We got to talking about what do you do, what do you do, what are you interested in? And Bishop Clark said, well, I happen to also be in charge of disciple-making for our movement. And that's how the conversation began. He told me about this. And the idea that I want to put in front of you is the Church of Uganda, 13 and a half million people. Captain Titus Baraka is one of those 16 guys that we're working with there. Uh, like where you find everywhere in the world, God has raised up kingdom people that are just can only be described as made by God. He's Sudanese, and yet he's working in the Ugandan context. He's gifted. He has a counseling center. He has a radio ministry, and his vision is to start things and let other people run them. He has a heart for evangelism. He has a heart for discipleship, and he wants to see the church of Uganda embedded with disciple-making. Our heartbeat for Titus is that this begins to work in the Church of Uganda. The Anglican Church of Nigeria is 20 million. The Anglican Church of South Sudan is 5 million. You've got the Kenyan uh, Anglicans that are about three and a half. You have the Tanzanian that's 3 million. You've got Rwandan, 1 million. You get the idea? Is that if we can get an embedded denomination that's in Africa that's making disciples, that has the proof that's in the church, that could be leveraged across the Anglican world in Africa in a way that could greatly, greatly, greatly accelerate the Great Commission. And so I highlight uh, Titus for you guys. I mean, the vision that I want to put out in front of you, it's not the vision of getting behind our organization and supporting us. Uh, We are not a top-heavy organization. I'm not an organizational behavior guy. I do not wake up in the middle of the night and say, how can I move our organization along? I'm a people guy and a ministry guy that wants to see the potential of God's people released. And so the ASDM provides a vehicle for Anglicans in the Gulf Coast to say, Titus is one of our guys. How can we get our ministry around Titus and what he's doing? Uh, if you haven't heard the word, you need to heard it global, local and global together. The, th- the beautiful thing about disciple making is it's a, glo- it's a global concept. We disciple here and we disciple there. We move there and we enter into discipleship there. We don't go to Africa to build houses. We don't go to Africa to build orphanages, and all that stuff matters. But if disciple-making is the key thing, we disciple here, we disciple there, there's continuity throughout that. And so what I would just put in front of of all of the, the parishes that are here and each of you guys is to maybe begin to pray together and think together, what would it look like for us to have skin in the game in the African context? Let me say that again. What would it look like for us to have skin in the game and to begin to develop a relationship with Titus to where we can come alongside that movement in in, in Uganda. And it is an amazing movement that's going on within the Anglicans. And I think it could be a beautiful, beautiful picture. Uh, I leave tomorrow to go to uh, Kenya for our fourth cohort gathering. We've met in Addis Ababa. We met in Accra, Ghana. We met in Egypt in August, September. And then uh, we're meeting in Kenya. Every three months we meet. And here's what I want to tell you. Here's what's happening. So our leaders are anywhere from 40 to 55. They all have bachelors. Most of them have masters. One guy from Burkina Faso has a PhD in disciple making, but he was never discipled in a relational kind of a way. And so there's four areas that we're working on. First and foremost is a pastor's devotion to the Lord. We have a thing called daily discipline devotion. You pouring yourself into scriptures and God changing you first. First area. Second area is, is in the family and in the marriage. African context has some different ways that they do marriage. They have different ways that they do family. And we're bringing that whole idea of family discipleship to the table. Over on the table over here, I have a a booklet on family discipleship that was written by my wife. Please take that and take that home with you. The third area is in the local church. And then the fourth area is each of these guys is discipling 10 other pastors 
right now as they're working through the own discipleship process in their own life. And transformation is beginning to take place. I never, here's my guy in Zimbabwe, Caesar, Caesar, apostolic faith mission, gifted. If he was here today, he would be walking out among you, fire, fire breathing pastor. He says, disciple making is changing me because I never realized the extent of my own need to be discipled myself. So I Skype with him two or three times a month, depending on the connection. Tried to Skype with him yesterday in between our meetings. But here's a guy whose life is being transformed. Let me pray real quick. Father, I come before you today, and I stand among uh, many in here that many of us in here will disciple cognitively. We went to seminaries with the idea that if we got the right doctrine and the right information in our, in our mindset, if we learned how to hermeneutically parse the passage and to homiletically preach the passage, that our ministries would go forth. And praise God for the teaching of the word. Praise God for the ability to bring the life-changing truth through, through preaching. But God, we need the component of disciple-making in our own lives and ministry. And so, God, I lift up this synod. I lift up the leadership of it. I thank you for Bishop Clark. I thank you, God, for his passion for disciple-making. And, God, I thank you also for the African church. I thank you for the sacrifices that many African leaders are making for the gospel in their own life. I pray for the North African pastors there, God, that are putting their life on the line in places like Egypt and Algeria and points elsewhere. God, we believe, just as Bishop Terrell said last night, if we can get people to Jesus, Jesus is fully capable of finishing, finishing the mission in each of us. So, God, we thank you for the privilege. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Give thanks.